TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's the Score North Twin Show. Welcome in to the Score North AL Central Champions Twins Show on scorenorth.com, the Score North app, and wherever you get your podcast. Rami Makloff here with Derek Wetmore. And Derek, a little later on the show, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, in the last Score North Twins show that we did. We're going to talk some Indians with Mandy Bell of MLB.com. And I told you last time we talked Indians, and maybe she'll change my mind. I'm not too worried about the Indians. Like I, <laughs> You're and, sleeping hard, not, man. Not to say that the Twins will finish 15, 20 games ahead of them, but I just I don't think that this is as good a team as the Twins. I told you last time we talked about it, last year they fell behind the Twins. That was obvious to me in the standings and on the baseball field, and they slashed another $30 million in payroll this offseason. I don't see how you get better slashing $30 million in payroll. Meanwhile, the Twins, while they didn't get the impact pitcher I wanted, they have better pitching than they started last season with, and they added Josh Donaldson. They may be a better offense than what they were last year, and by the way, that was the second-best offense of all time just behind the 2019 New York Yankees, who set the single-season record for runs scored. I don't see how the Indians catch the Twins or make this any more interesting than it was last year. So let's, just, let's set the scene. Okay. Because we're in agreement that I think the Twins are a better team. Okay. But okay. I don't think in March we should be sleeping on Cleveland at I mean, all. I did it last year. Yeah, you did. I did. You did. I'll give you that. Told you last year the Indians weren't much to worry about. In part, and you correctly pointed out, injuries to Jose Reyes, Francisco Lindor, and the pitching staff could unwind things. Now, the pitching staff didn't end up unwinding things, but I do wonder if it'd be a different outcome if Frankie Lindor plays the whole season and Jose Reyes. Uh, not Jose Reyes. Jose Ramirez. Yeah. Um, That, to me, is a big swing factor that, like, if they get full, healthy seasons from their best players, that's a really, really good place to start if you're Cleveland. Picota, the uh, baseball projection system at Baseball Prospectus, excuse me, has the Indians on 86 wins this year and the Twins on 93 wins. Kind of flipped from what it was a year ago. That seems about right to me. But, you know, that is a demonstrable difference in a projection system, but it's close enough that you should be at least a little nervous about it. You're talking about, like, one win a month, you know? That, that to me, is these two teams are pretty equal, and some, some luck and health and uh, upswings, downswings can really swing a race. That's my take on it. I think the White Sox will be closer than they were last year. I think it's pretty obvious they're a better baseball team than they were last year with the prospects they have coming up and with the free agent signings that they made this offseason. I just I don't I don't see it with the Indians, Derek. That sounds about right to me. Ninety three twins wins, eighty six Indians wins. And I could depending on what the White Sox are, because that's that's the major difference for me in this division compared to last year. It's gonna it's gonna be harder to come by wins. I know people are looking at it and going they won 101 last year. They're only going to win 93 this year. Like, if you're looking at it from a 3,000-foot view, that might seem weird to you. But you had a lot of easy wins in the division last year. If the White Sox can take a few of those back that they got against the Twins last year, it might be a tighter race just because of that. But I don't think that the Indians, like I said, will make this thing any more interesting than it was a year ago. I just can't see them being the team that gives the Twins a hard time this year. They traded away Corey Kluber. They got uh, fireballer Emmanuel Classe back in that deal. Could be a part of the bullpen as early as this year. And Delano DeShields Jr. Um, 
A lot of people outside Cleveland look at that as a subtraction, clearly a salary uh, dump, if you want to call it that. Um, but we should also point out that they had a good rotation last year, largely sure. without Corey Kluber. Oh, yeah, they, so they got pitching for days. They seem to have a pitching factory wherever their farm system is. Yeah, no they, doubt. They just spit those guys out, and it's like no problem Shocking. whatsoever. Yeah. Right. You trade Trevor Bauer, no problem. You trade Corey <laughs> Kluber, no big deal. Right. You know what I mean? Like most teams can't do that. The Indians seem to have cracked the code to some degree and that doesn't in terms worry of you? developing pitchers for the major league. No, because I just don't see the offense there, Derek. Sure. I don't know how they score runs. Sure. They're a very good pitching team. I don't know how they score runs. I just don't. And in 2020, I don't know how, how effective a, a a team that only pitches well can really be and how many wins they can how many wins they can rack up. I just don't see it. I just don't see it with this Indians team. That's fair. I like starting with two of the best players in the division, Lindor Ramirez on the left side, uh, Carlos Santana at first base, and they're making a bit of a bounce-back bet on Cesar Hernandez at second base. Not sure about that one. Uh, the question always going to be their outfield. All right, let's talk to somebody who knows a lot more about the Indians than we do. We're just guessing. Exactly. Let's talk to somebody who knows. We don't really know. Here comes our interview with Mandy Bell, who is the Indians insider for MLB.com. And if you like her insights and want to follow her on Twitter, she is a good follow, at Mandy Bell 2 Our guest today is a very special guest of the show. Mandy Bell covers the Cleveland Indians for MLB.com. Mandy, how's it going today? Going pretty well. How are you guys? We're good. We're good back in the Twin Cities. Not quite as warm as Arizona, but uh, spring training is well underway, and I think this is going to be an interesting division race. I Some people with the Twins, I think, are sleeping on the Indians a little bit. Can can we start with a 30,000-foot overview of how are, the, how are the Indians talking about their chances to win the AL Central this spring down in Arizona? I think the biggest perspective maybe that they they sort of have is that they've fallen back into the underdog category and that's sort of how they entered 2016 and and they they like being in that territory and and they all sort of had the same thing saying look i mean after last year everyone's sort of counting us out and that's that's fine we we don't mind that we're we're perfectly fine with everybody counting us out because that's whenever we can sneak a basically sneak attack again and then try to force our way back in I mean, the injuries haven't helped them so far this spring, but uh, despite all of that, everyone still seems to have the same mindset to this day. I, I know we've reached the halfway point of spring training and nothing's changed. And, and Tito says it over and over and over again, saying, look, I, I mean, as a manager, I'm nothing but confident always. And no matter who we're putting out there, I think we're going to just make sure that it's the best 26 guys that we have. And at that point, I, I think that we can basically do anything. So... I think they like the the underdog category that they've been lumped back into. From the outside looking in, it it looks to me like there's a struggle between the front office and and Terry Francona and obviously the guys who who play for him. It looks to me like the front office is ready to dive into a rebuild, and Terry Francona is just too good of a manager to let them lose enough games to justify that to the fans. Am I am I misreading that because? Two years in a row now, in a year in a row now, they slash payroll, and everybody involved has been pretty open about the fact that Francisco Lindor's future probably isn't in Cleveland. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they want to go the rebuild route. I think the the issue is just because they do have a, a, a tight payroll situation. Um, I think the front office, meaning Chris Antonetti, their president, and uh, you have general manager Mike Chernoff. Those two guys have been obviously given their their mandates of where they need to make sure the payroll stands. And they, they've never really said exactly where they where they're supposed to keep it, but 
we keep seeing it splash and splash, and they're doing their best to try to avoid a rebuild while keeping the payroll under control. Now, over like in 2017 to 2018, everything started to get up over 130 million, and that was just an unsustainable rate um, for what ownership was able to continue to do. So they were trying to get to a more sustainable path, but in doing so, man, they've they've had to be limited in their choices. I know uh, they they had to trade away Corey Kluber, and that that. That freed up about $17 million in their payroll, and then they were able to go get Cesar Hernandez for a little over six. And it seems like everyone was sort of hoping that they would be able to do more than that. But clearly they're in a spot where they have to stay under $100 million, or at least right around that area. Um, so I think that the front office is trying to do whatever they can with the guidelines that they have to be able to keep a competitive team and not have to get to the rebuild stage. And that's a weird balance that they've been trying to do since last year. And, uh, yeah, because of that, you start thinking there's no way with Lindor and they've been very open about Lindor, the situation with Lindor saying, look, we're trying to find a, a number to be able to agree with him on. And, uh, Lindor knows his worth and obviously he's going to want to have a contract that, uh, completely matches what his what he deserves, and uh, the problem is if they would go out and spend the three hundred plus million dollar contract on him, might, probably don't have much left over to be able to build a championship level team around him. Sure. So they're trying to find that balance, and those talks are ongoing all the time. And it's about right now that Lindor said he wants to shut those off for these for then just focus on baseball. So uh, I don't know; it'll get interesting. But they're they're trying to find that weird in between balance between satisfying ownership and keeping a competitive team and so far they've they've done as as well as anyone could in that position but it's it's going to be hard to keep juggling that yeah i'm curious about this lindor situation almost from like a media and fan perspective because for my money i mean he's one of the best players in baseball i don't think you'd catch a lot of arguments for that and of course he helps Cleveland's chances to win every summer. Uh, has that been awkward or uncomfortable at all? You mentioned they've been open, and I've seen certainly a lot of quotes uh, considering there's nothing resolved and might not be anything resolved in the way of a of a long-term contract. How how is the like the vibe around that situation been? It's really not as bad as what maybe outsiders think it is. I, I totally see how everyone else would look at that and think this this has to be a weird dynamic within the clubhouse and within the organization, knowing that you have this guy who could make up $350 million or even more, and you have this ongoing conversation of them trying to lower that number. But it's really, really not. I mean, he's handled it well. Uh, he talks about how much he loves Cleveland, and he talks about the fact that he hopes to be able to stay here. But he's also been very open, saying, "Look, I, I I'm going to go for the contract that I deserve." And everyone's been uh, it's been oddly open here because the the Indians front office rarely gets into details. They like to make sure that they keep a lot of stuff to themselves. They're very guarded whenever they they give out strategies or or anything that they're doing, especially over the off season. But Chris Antonetti has told us this is a special occasion. This is a special player, and I want to make sure that we're doing everything correct here. And I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm talking about him and making sure he knows like how much we want him here too. So the way that they've they've done it, it's just this is a special case, and you can tell everyone's just putting the pedal to the metal here, and everyone's putting everything they have out on the table and uh, trying to make something work. But both sides have been understanding and and it's not that bad around the clubhouse how have indians fans handled the whole francisco lindor situation full disclosure i grew up in chicago diehard cubs fans and i know cubs fans have already preemptively taken a side in this thing and it's 
wholeheartedly on the side of Chris Bryant and why would you trade them and angry at Cubs management. Is that how Indians fans are feeling with Francisco Lindor and it seemingly being imminent that he's going to be traded? Yeah, that's sort of the vibes that at least I've, I've started to feel through Twitter. It's just, it, people seem very disappointed. It's disheartening to think that they wouldn't be able to keep one of their favorite players on their favorite team um, because of money. And it, it has to be, I, I mean, it's clearly been frustrating for them to think that that's going to be the way that it works. But just because that they started to get used to this pattern that the Indians are starting to fall into or have fallen into because they are a small market team and they're trying to do their best with the limited resources that they have. Um, they, I've started to see more now saying, okay, well, then we, everyone needs to make sure that he gets traded at the trade deadline this year because they need to capitalize on this because if they're going to lose him, then you need to make sure you get enough in return that uh, you know, that it makes it worth it and, and makes it maybe a little less painful to have to see him go. And if you get enough in return, then uh, maybe that can help him out in the future. So then you start seeing fans saying, all right, well, let's just pull the trigger now hmm. um, and try to get try to get something back um, if you can't absolutely pay for him. Because we saw what happened with Mookie this offseason. Yeah, that's what, right. what, what happens whenever you only have one year of control left. So it, it's, it's a weird territory. Half the fans are saying, Let's figure out a way to make sure that this can, that he can stay beyond 2021. And half of them are saying there's no shot, so let's make sure that we capitalize. So it's it's weird. It's a weird uh, Twitter <laughs> world right now. Well, if you like being the underdogs, trade your best player. That's one way to do it. <laughs> uh, certainly makes you the underdog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we, you talked about the Corey Kluber trade earlier, and I want to ask you just a general question about the rotation. Um, answer this either way you want to. Uh, either your personal opinion as someone who covers the Indians as closely as anybody, or the front office and, and coaching staff perspective on, on how they feel about their staff. Uh, without Kluber last year for long stretches, it was a really good starting staff. What do you expect to see coming into 2020 now with Kluber completely out of the equation? I think if you would have asked this question at the beginning of last year, it would have seemed like they should be pressing the panic button a little bit more. But honestly, because they did have almost a full year without him, I think the young arms started to prove that, look, we, the, this pitching depth goes beyond than just Shane Bieber. It's, it's continuing down in the minor leagues, and they just keep producing them like crazy. And because of that, it just seems like they're in an okay state. I mean, it's weird to think that you can trade away a two-time Cy Young Award winner and, and be fine. And it was sort of the same feeling they had last year. It's like you're trading away Trevor Bauer, and you're losing one of your best pitchers, but you're getting better, and it's just, it's a weird concept. But they've they've just seemed to master this concept of of trading away great talent and still somehow getting better by losing. And uh, I think because of Zach Plesac and Aaron Savali, both of those guys who came up last year, they seem to be in a, in a good state. They have Adam Pletko right now, who's been serving as like the perfect six man for them over the past few years. Um, but he's out of options now, so it looks like they'll he'll probably start out in the rotation especially now because Clevenger might miss the first week or two of the season. Um, so he'll probably start out in the rotation, and if that doesn't work out, then they can dip back into their, their depths again. And they have guys like Logan Allen. They have Scott Moss. Um, eventually they have Tristan McKenzie, who was hurt all year last year. And all their top prospects, I mean, it just seems like their starting pitching depth just keeps growing and growing and, and is endless right now. So I, I think they're going to be perfectly fine on the rotation aspect. That being said, they'd like to have Mike Clevenger back as soon as possible. What's his status right now? Right now, he's. it seems like he's just flying through his rehab already. He had 
surgery on Friday, February 14th, exactly two weeks after that to repair his um, partially torn meniscus in his knee. Exactly two weeks after that, he's already starting his throwing program. He's throwing <laughs> up to 75 feet uh, over the weekend on flat ground. And, I mean, he's putting full weight down. He's doing his aggressive uh, leg kick and wind up, and he's doing all of his stuff, and it seems to be holding up well. They said that the next step for him this week is he's going to be getting on the mound but without a ball. He's going to be stimulating uh, his entire windup, and he's going to just make sure that he's starting to uh, train his leg again to get used to landing downhill and make sure that everything's stable there and, and strong. And then from there, they'll, they'll keep adding more and more onto his plate. But he was given that six- to eight-week time frame whenever he had the surgery. Six weeks would have been that Friday after opening day. So, uh, I mean, he's he's trying to beat that timeline, and, he, he did it last year when he started the year with the upper back strain. They'd said that he wasn't going to even touch a ball for six to eight weeks. And 10 weeks later, he was already back on the big league hmm. mound. So he's, he, it seems like he's just a freak. He, he heals faster than any other human that I've ever seen. And uh, <laughs> he has a, a ridiculous work ethic to try to get back on the mound. So it would not be surprising to me if he misses little to no, no time. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's clearly a competitor just looking in from afar, and it, and it's impressive. Who do they consider the ace of their staff? Because you see split crowds online uh, with outsiders, Shane Bieber versus Mike Clevenger. Which which would you prefer? Do they consider it uh, uh, one guy's in front of the other if everyone's healthy? I don't – I mean, not that they've at least vocalized. I mean, to me, it seems like Mike Clevenger's – that has stepped into that role um but you can't really go wrong and and what a problem to have you're trying to debate between two different guys to see who could be the ace i mean (laughs) uh it's really really good territory for them to be in and i don't think you can go wrong with either answer but just from my perspective it seems like mike clevenger has really worked to to earn that that type of a title and and his stuff last year was unbelievable. His velocity continues to just tick up and up. And, and uh, I think he's a perfect guy to, to be their ace this year. Sure. And uh, we talked about the Kluber trade from the outgoing perspective, but we haven't really talked about the incoming. Um, Delano Shields and Emmanuel, is it Classe? Am I saying that right? Classe, yes. Classe. Okay. What can you tell us about the haul that Cleveland's getting back? Because clearly uh, it was it was Hit it in maybe the national media as a salary dump move, but the Indians must like what they're getting back in the return, uh, else they might not pull the trigger on that. What can you tell us about their haul in that deal and what they think of it? Well, Emmanuel Classe is exciting, and I think that was the, the big sell for them because he the potential that he has is, is unbelievable. He has that triple-digit cutter, um, and, and he has the, the potential to move into a closing role in the near future. He's only 21 and he just has so much ahead of him. So I think he was a big sell for them. Uh, Now it's unfortunate for them because he came into camp and started having uh, some issues that he was feeling with his upper arm and his shoulder. And it it turns out that he has a a latch strain that's going to keep him out for eight to 12 weeks. Um, Big setback for them. I mean, it wasn't a guarantee that he was going to crack this opening day roster. He's young, he's inexperienced, but I mean, he had a really, really good shot at it. And uh, I know the whole organization is excited to see what he can do. So I think he's the biggest perk from that return. I mean, yes, the line of the shields adds um, some incredible defense. He's one of the best defenders uh, outfielder wise across the game right now. And his speed is really helpful. I think he's in the 97th percentile in speed. 
Um, and just his offense is, is not quite there for an Indians team that needs hitters. Um, so I, I think that's what they have to learn this, this spring so far is can he provide us a bat to, to be able to earn regular bats? Um, I, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. And that's sort of what Tito was saying yesterday after the game. The Shield has, has put together a decent spring offensively, but Tito's just like, it, look, it's going to take all six weeks for us to figure out where exactly he fits into this puzzle. They have 10 outfielders right now on their 40-man roster, so they're trying to shuffle everything around and figure out who's going to be the best fits. And, and right now it seems more likely that he'll probably just get a bench spot and work his way in, and his versatility could help him in the outfield and, and move around, and they could put him in from time to time. But he's going to have to show a lot more offensively to be able to get more regular bats. Mandy, the other day Derek and I were talking about this AL Central and, and the race that it might be this coming season. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm not that worried about the Indians from a Twins perspective. And I told Derek the way I look at it, the Twins surpassed them last year with the, the subtractions and the payroll cuts that the Indians made. And they made more payroll cuts and slashes this year. I just don't see how they're a problem for the Twins unless they have some high-impact prospects who are ready for the major leagues to come in, especially, and and produce offensively. Do they have some high-impact prospects that are ready for the big leagues or maybe some under-the-radar free agent additions that they made this, this offseason? I don't know about uh, maybe additions they made this offseason, but I think one bat that they definitely have working in their favor is for ML Reyes. He came over in the Trevor Bauer trade last July. He didn't quite settle in whenever he came over. He moved from being an out, everyday outfielder to just being a DH and trying to adjust to what that was like again. Um, and he was just learning a new organization, and it, it was his first time he was being traded and all this type of stuff, and he just wasn't quite settling in. Now he completely has. He lost 18 pounds over the offseason to make sure that he was more agile to move back into the outfield again for them. And, uh, and my goodness, his batting practices – uh, so far have been just a joy to watch because the raw power that he has and the way the bat is, or the ball is exploding off of his bat so far this spring has just been so fun to, to be able to sit and, and sit back and watch. And the way that he's been able to carry that into the games, he's gotten a hit in every single game that he's played so far. I mean, it just seems like a completely new player. So I think he's going to be a different difference maker for the lineup in general. And then prospect-wise, not in offensively, but in the bullpen, I think Class A eventually and James Karinchak could be big additions into the bullpen and, and, and help a bullpen that was the best in baseball from the start of the year last year through August um, get even better. And it was sort of under the radar how great their bullpen was last year and with the slowest fastball velocity. And it was like a weird, quirky bullpen that was able hmm. to just grind it out and find ways to get out and have the best ERA. So uh, I think that those two adding the velocity that they have and clean check curveball and all this stuff, I think that could help take their bullpen to the next level and help them be a better team overall. You telling us if Framil Reyes is in the best shape of his life right now? I think you could probably say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a giant of a human being. Yeah. I, 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 I was pretty sure I was thinking of the right guy. I looked him up while you were talking. 6'5", 282. He's a monster. And I don't know if that's pre-17-pound weight loss or post-17-pound weight loss. But I believe way. that was pre, but it's a solid man nonetheless. Yeah, and a bunch of power. You're right. You see it play in batting practice. You see it play sometimes up in games. And if that raw power becomes game power this year, it could be a big bat in Cleveland's mm-hmm. lineup. Um, Mandy, that's all we've got for you. Thank you so much for joining the Twin Show today. Uh, really appreciated having your Cleveland Indians perspective on the show. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Planning to buy a new boat this year? Glenn Perkins here for my friends at Nelson Marine. The Nelson Marine difference is about customer service and a knowledgeable team of sales and service pros. Two large showrooms filled with an impressive inventory of the best brands in the business. London Crestliner Fishing Boats, South Bay Pontoons, powered by Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, and Evinrude. Nelson Marine has been creating happy customers for 75 years. Visit their showroom on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake online at nelsonmarine.biz. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated Marketing Representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours.